Welcome to the Nations Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Say yes, amen. Luke chapter 12, verse 40. It says, Therefore, you also be ready. Say, be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Say, wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Thank you so much, Kaylin. One of the things that I love to do is once a year, I disciple our church in what is, I feel, the most life-changing, most powerful revelations for me personally as I've walked out and journeyed with and scoured scripture as well as wrestled from like a secular studies point of view and something that I think at its core uh, impacts every person regardless of nationality and race and culture. And it's, it is one of my life messages and a message that I've preached in many different ways wherever I go. Because for me, um, when you have this revelation, it's incredibly liberating. And uh, I also know that in the absence of this revelation or maybe having this revelation wrongly applied, it can be... Uh, something that keeps many, many people in bondage. And so today, I want to speak to you on the thought from ownership to stewardship. From ownership to stewardship. It is my firm belief that Jesus died and rose again, not just to offer you eternal life, but He died and He rose again to restore you to your original intended design here on earth. He didn't just die and rise again so that you could be restored in right relationship with Him and be offered eternal life, but He also died and rose again so you can be offered and be restored to an abundant life, the life that He intended for you to live. So what then is this original intended design that God created for us to be? Who did He create for us to be? Well, He actually created us to be His image bearers. How many of you know that God did not create for you to bear the image of the social media influences that are out on Instagram right now. He didn't create for you to bear an image of a fake or phony person. He created you to be His image bearer. God said, let us make man in our image. He created you to be an image bearer. And therefore, we now know why words like 2 Corinthians 5.20 calls us ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who bears the responsibility and the image of the sovereign nation they're from in a foreign country. An ambassador reflects the country he is from. Makes sense to you? Reflects the king or the government that he represents. You are a representation of God here on the earth. And so now we understand why Jesus, when he then comes, he speaks about these parables that talk about stewardship. Because stewardship is to look after and take responsibility for something or someone that belongs to somebody else. That's the key here. A steward, someone that exercises stewardship is to, is to have this life where you're given authority and responsibility to take care of and manage what belongs to somebody else as if you were them. Follow me so far. So the key to understanding stewardship is understanding that what you're being charged with to have responsibility for actually belongs to somebody else. And so this is what we need to understand. Let us go back to the genesis of creation, the very beginning of creation. Tonight, I want to teach you some big theologies, macro theologies about who you are and what your purpose is. So God says this, Genesis 1, then God said, let us 
make man in our image according to our likeness. Immediately here in the genesis of all humanity, you understand now who you are in God. You are not the descendants of monkeys. Come on, your ancestors did not come from some cosmic accident, some random occurrence, a big bang somewhere, somehow that happened right? You were created in the image of God, fully knowing that you are created to be God's image bearers. The question then is what next? What do us as image bearers now do on the earth? Well, then Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 says, then, being after he created us, then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to tend, say to tend, and keep it, say keep it. Now we understand that we are God's image bearers, but our purpose is to tend and to keep all that he's created. So that word tend and keep, that expression in, in the Hebrew is the word samar. You've got to roll your R's apparently. Samar, meaning to watch over, keep charge of, oversee, take responsibility for something that doesn't belong to you. This is the Genesis description of the New Testament word of stewardship. So we are first introduced to who we are, our identity, we're God's image bearers. But then after that, immediately we're introduced to our purpose. We are called to be God's stewards here on the earth. Now, fully understanding that, we know why the enemy tries to corrupt our understanding of stewardship. Because if he can corrupt your understanding of stewardship, he'll corrupt your understanding of your purpose. He'll keep you chasing things that don't matter. He'll distort and pervert your purpose. But when you understand the parameters of your, your, your stewardship, then you understand your purpose. So here is the, the fundamental theology. To be a steward of God, then you need to have a conviction that everything on earth belongs to God. Psalm 24 tells us exactly that. Verse 1, the Lord owns the earth and all it contains, the world and all who live in it. This might come as a surprise to you, but you actually don't own anything. Some of you are going, what? The Lord, as believers, it is our theology that the Lord actually ultimately owns the earth and all it contains. And so what happened upon creation, the genesis of all humanity, is that when God breathed life into Adam, and Adam's eyes were open, he stood up, he began to see all that God had created. It was all God's. He lived with the only mindset that he knew upon creation, that it all belonged to God. Now, I clearly wasn't there at the point of creation, but I can, I can guess that this didn't happen. What I think didn't happen was this, that Adam suddenly awoke and he rose and he breathed and he came out of the dust and he had the breath of God in his lungs. He looked around and said, wow, this is fantastic. Now, wow, what an incredible creature that is with that long slender neck and the long legs and like the spotted coat. I want that for myself and that really big intimidating animal over there with like the big mane and like the big roar, that, that's mine too. But that real funny little animal there with the buck teeth and and the little long tail and the scurries along the ground. That can be yours, God. And then, you know, that fat little snubby nose, little, little brown thing that waddles around. Let's call that the wombat. Do you want that, God? Because I don't want it. Let's give that to the Aussies. <laughs> I can promise you that didn't happen. Because when Adam was created, all that he saw, he knew belonged to God. Adam's only awareness was that it all belonged to God and he stewarded as if he was God's representative here on the earth. So write this down. You and I were created to be image-bearing stewards 
of all that belongs to God. How liberating is that? That it's all God's. We're just simply His image-bearing stewards. Now, sin enters into the world. Adam and Eve disobey God. A new awareness was awakened in Adam and Eve that previously didn't have the aid of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now suddenly a new emotion was introduced that God never intended for them to have. And then it was the emotion, the mentality, the framework of possession and ownership. They went from it all belongs to you, God. I steward all of this in faith. And suddenly now that's mine and this is my body. This is my choice. And now I'm suddenly self conscious. When up until then, all that they were conscious of was that it all belonged to God. That word ownership in the original Hebrew Aramaic in the Bible is the word baal, meaning to be lord over or possessor of something. Now, because of sin, humanity was now awakened to something God never intended for us to be awakened to, which is this thing is mine. It is my possession. That's my ownership. Suddenly, we went from living as stewards of all that belonged to God to now suddenly having awakened to an emotion of wanting to possess and own things. Now we know where all of the toxic emotions within our hearts come from. Think of where covetousness comes from. Hello? And envy and jealousy and resentment and that feeling of getting the rough end of the stick and suddenly new behaviors were introduced. We now learn to cheat and lie and manipulate to simply get what we want. And you wonder why the more things we possess, sometimes the more bound up we become. Because we've now suddenly been corrupted in our original intended design of being image-bearing stewards of all that belongs to God to now suddenly wanting to have stuff for ourselves. And sometimes the more stuff we have, it just feels like we have more issues. Hello? Oh man, I got that investment property is driving me nuts. The neighbor is like wanting to sue me for that retaining wall. Now, now it's like breaching their boundary, etc. And oh my gosh, and that property development deal I'm doing with these guys, my partners, they were good at first, but now they're reneging on the terms and conditions. Oh my gosh, Dan Elder and I ordered that boat, bro. And I didn't realize that the warranty doesn't cover these default things and the default period is gone. And oh my goodness, I don't know what to do, man. Like my, this brand new iPhone I've got, man, it doesn't even sync with my computer and on and on it goes. And when we ask each other, how was your day? Oh man, shocking. I've had a shocking week. <laughs> this was not God's best life for us. Hello. And we wonder why we're dealing with all of these issues. This was not... God's best life for us. And you, you got to ask the question, do you have things or do things have you? Because that was not the way God designed or created for you to be. Adam was created to steward all that belonged to God. This awakening of bow, of ownership, of possession was a reason God actually then had to help us out of our mess. He then instituted some things in the law to govern and inform us how to navigate this life of ownership, of possession, of who owns what. That's why we read crazy things like Exodus chapter 22, verse 10. Now it's contextualized, right? This, we see stuff like verse 10, if a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, 
an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt, or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. But if, in fact, it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, and he shall not make good what was torn. Verse 14, And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor, and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. And on and on it goes. It sounds like a legal contract. The reason for that is because God, in His kindness, had to institute some kind of framework to help us to get around and navigate this without killing each other. On and on it goes. And so it's continued through the ages. If you think about the mess, most corporate legal issues come from this earthly, man-made, fallen-natured construct of ownership. Think about lawsuits, wills, powers of attorney, family law courts, all deal with this one never-ending source of conflict, and it's this, who owns what? Ask every divorce lawyer in town, what do they spend most of their time earning money from? Kaching? Who owns what? It is a never-ending source of conflict for families, never-ending source of conflict between siblings, between partners in business, and it hasn't changed. And God's just trying to help sort out our messes by simply giving us some kind of framework to get around the argy-bargy of ownership and this mess. But the law was just a cobweb-cleaning exercise. All it did was simply reveal to us the true need to kill the spider which is to restore ourselves back to being His image-bearing stewards where it all belongs to God. Anything outside of that was just a temporary measure to help us navigate this stuff. You're all getting some of these big theologies, right? So the whole New Testament reminds us through the life of the apostles and the early church and through the life of Jesus that it all belongs to God. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He has killed the spider. His entire desire is to restore us now, not just to eternal life, but to restore us to our original intended design, to set us free from stuff shackling us down, to set us free from the bondage of possession and materialism. Come on, are you out there? That's why Paul says, Paul says, Timothy, I want to raise you up to be a future apostle of the early church. But this is what you have to have as a fundamental understanding because this is going to set you free, son. He says this, 1 Timothy 6 verse 7, one of the most liberating verses in Scripture. He says this to Timothy, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. That's a shock to many of you. Hey, you were born naked and you're going to die naked. You brought nothing into the world. And you can take nothing out of it. So why are you losing sleep over things you never brought into the world and you cannot take out of it? How liberating is that? Jesus gives us the solution. Scripture gives us the solution. And it's simply this, that we need to be restored from Baal back to Samar, from ownership and possession back to simply being His image-bearing stewards. This is not my church, it's his church. I live in a house, but really, it's his house. I can't, I didn't bring it into this world. I can't take it with me. Hello, I've got a car registered in my name, but I tell you what, I'm just stewarding it. The day's gonna come where it's gonna end up in the pile of junk somewhere in some landfill somewhere. Hello, I can't take it with me. All the things that I think I've got my guitars, my few too many fishing rods, my bank account, 
whatever little shares I've got. It all belongs to God. My purpose is to steward it like it all belongs to Him for His glory while I've got it here on the earth. And this is completely at odds with a Western capitalistic 21st century mindset where it tells you that the more you've got, Nathaniel, the better you feel about yourself. And the more you chase on the earth, Gareth, the more you feel like a real man. And the more that you, 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 you own, the more you're going to feel more satisfied. And I don't know if you know that, that Jesus actually said that. That's all deceitful. That's all just chasing the wind stuff. That's not the life I designed and intended for you to live. That's why he says in Mark, and, and, and when you live that life, you wonder why you don't grow spiritually. You wonder why you're weighed down with stuff and like, you, oh man, I just, I can't go to connect. I'm just, I'm so stressed right now. with stuff going on. So many things going on with my life right now. Jesus actually said this in Mark 4, 19. He calls it the worries of this life. And the worries of this life is the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. Not the things he's called you to desire, but the pursuit or the desire of other things. They come in, they choke the word, and it makes it unfruitful. Psalm 37 verse 16, little wonder the Bible says this, a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. God is not glorifying lack. He's simply saying it's better to have less things and have none of it have you, than have a lot of things and have all of it have you. I'm preaching good tonight. Come on now. See, God knows that if you're an owner and not a steward, the more things you own will start to be more like more things own you. The more money you have will start to be more like more money has you. See, we have this term that we coined, don't we, called financial freedom. We have this thing that the world has told us, you have to try and attain one day to have to reach the point of financial freedom. Our understanding of financial freedom is that we all get to a point in our lives that we're all trying to pursue, where we get to a space in life where we can buy whatever we want, buy whatever we want without owning, owing anyone or without having to really, really scrounge and scrap. And financially free means that we get to buy whatever we fancy, what all the things that we want and have the money to do it. But I don't know if you know that that line keeps moving. We never actually attain it. That goalpost will continuously shift. That is the deceitfulness of wealth. It lies to you that if you try and get this, and then when we get there, it's actually, it's moved a little further. And we start wanting a little bit more. And it's a slippery slope that keeps pulling us away from Samar and deeper into Baal. Come on. We forget that this is a great deceit. And whenever we start fixating on wanting to own more, you forget that sometimes owning more means that those things own you. In the kingdom, the greatest question you can ask to test your financial freedom, the greatest thing you can, if, if, if you want to know what kingdom financial freedom looks like, ask yourself these two questions, and we do all the time in our home. Do I own things or do things own me? Do I have money or does money have me? right? This is the essence of stewardship, and this will liberate you big time. This theology is going to set you free. When you live like it all belongs to God, it is a completely freeing, financially freeing life. I need a resounding amen from you. Here's the thing about stewardship. What I do know is this, and trust me, I, 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 have, to, I have to make a confession to you guys. This is confession time. 
Um, I'm actually an accountant by trade. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was a past life. I've been saved. <laughs> I've got a degree in this, a, a bachelor's degree. I've got a postgraduate in this. I understand how the world thinks, and I understand what it tries to condition us to believe about who we are. But I can tell you now, when you transpose the Word of God over it, I can tell you which is bondage and which is freedom. Yeah. Come on, are you out there? I can tell you which is bondage and which is actually freedom. And, and when God says, I, my heart is to restore you back to your original intended design, simply be my stewards, you need to know I'm doing this for your benefit. Fully knowing, God, fully knowing that since the day sin entered into our nature, we would struggle to redeem ourselves from Baal back to Samar that he established something that would be a constant reminder to us that we are stewards of what's his and not owners of what's ours, and that he established the genius of the tithe. We're going to go there tonight. He established the genius of the tithe. The word tithe actually means a tenth. We see Scripture talking about and using the words first fruits and tithing uh, all over Scripture. In agricultural times, it used agricultural currency, so it made sense back then, not so much now. We've got cryptocurrency and stuff that just wasn't in the Bible at the time. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. That is a generic term. We understand that principle. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. We see in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, bring the whole tenth or tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. So this agricultural currency again, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. Chrissy and I tithe on all our income. And it's not just the tenth, but it's the first tenth. In other words, whenever we have an increase, we tithe the first tenth before Netflix gets it. Before Disney Plus gets it. I'm now confession time right now. All my subscriptions coming out. Before Chrissy's gym takes money out of our credit card. Hello. Which she goes occasionally. No, she's going a bit more these days. I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> Jesus help me. Before Synergy and Alinta and bank loans and all that, why? Because it all belongs to God. And the tithe, when I set aside the tenth first up, it reminds me that I live as a Samar, a created Samar person, a steward of God, that it all belongs to him. He lets me steward nine-tenths of it. Come on, are you out there? And, I, and I, look, I, I get it. Tithing is not easy. If it was, everyone would do it. We tithe on any increase, on any increase. And just, just recently, we actually sold a house. The only house I've ever sold. It was a house that we lived in for 16 years, and now we live in a different house. But um, we sold it, and um, you know, we, we sold it for, we were praying, God, give us a really good price as you do. And we, was, we, we were just wrapped when the Lord just found us a great buyer. We sold it for a really good price that was higher than what it cost us through the years. Make sense to you guys? So we celebrate, we go, man, that was really great, honey, fantastic, so good. We had a great real estate agent. It was really, you know, a relatively easy transaction. It was like one viewing, offer, bang, praise Jesus. Then I realized how big the tithe would be. <laughs> but we tithe anyway because it was a reminder that our house belongs to God. We didn't take, bring it with us when we were born, and we're not going to take it with us when we die. That it all belongs to God. And the genius of the tithe is a constant reminder 
that it all belongs to God and it restores me daily because my flesh wants to be a possessor. My flesh wants to bow up my life. But God said, come on, I'm restoring you back to the most financially free, the most liberating state that I've created for you to be. I need a resounding amen. And I understand this has been one of the most mistaught, misunderstood, and disagreed with revelations in Scripture. Most, a lot of noted Christian scholars, many smarter than me, have said, would say if they were here, Ken, you don't understand, this is all under the law. All completely under the law. Now as New Testament Christians, God has abolished it all. You don't have to tithe at all. Well, God established first fruits and tithing from the second generation of humanity way before the law came in. Cain and Abel understood that they were to bring the first of their fruits or the first of their crops, their, their first portions of it, because they were in a place that were no new awareness had come in. Now, they're the second generation after the fall. Makes sense to you? Think about someone like Abraham. Oh, man, I wish I had time to teach this. But Abraham tithed in faith way before the law came in. And it says that he tithed or gave a tenth to Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of God most high. Melchizedek is actually a pre-Christ figure in the Old Testament. You've got to remember, all scripture is synchronized. You've got to read it in context. Abraham's act of tithing his tenth to Melchizedek was actually a forerunning act for us who now we are the seed of Abraham who continue to live and carry on this transitional transformation out of Baal and into Samai. And even the New Testament reminds us in Hebrews 7, this Melchizedek was a king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And then tells us what Melchizedek's name is. It says the name of Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. They were descriptors of the Jesus who has now come. Come on, are you out there? Who gives us the, he kills the spider, not just trying to clean the cobwebs of how to manage our, our, our ownership, argy-bargy. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek as a forerunning act that today those of us who are out of the seed of, come on, we tithe as unto Jesus by faith. Got a pay rise today? Thank you, God. It all belongs to him. A tenth reminds us of that. Got your bonus? Thank you, God. It all belongs to him. The tenth reminds us that it all belongs to God. You sold your house, sold your business, sold those shares. All of those increases, they all belong to God. Because you didn't bring it into this world and you can't take it with you at all. And you're just an image-bearing steward of God. I know this isn't easy because we feel like our money is our life in exchangeable form. It's what we've got to show for our time, our talents, our energy. We wake up in the morning, get on the bus, go to work. We feel it and we have an emotional connection, sometimes unhealthily so with it. But I tell you what, I'm so grateful for the genius of the tithe because it reminds me who's actually Lord of my life. Do you know that the Bible establishes two things that remind us constantly of who is Lord of our lives? First is the partaking of Holy Communion. When we eat of the bread, drink of the cup, it reminds us of who's Lord of our lives, who laid down all of it for us. And the second is actually the tithe. I don't know if you love taking communion. It's meaningful to you. We love taking communion because it's taking. Oh, I love communion. It's awesome. It's communion time. Right? If we don't have communion for like three weeks, trust me, the emails are going to flood in. Why aren't we having communion at church? Do you know we haven't passed the offering bags around since the start of COVID in 2020? No one's complained. No one's actually complained. 
The reason for that is because we like the parts of the gospel that tell us to take. We don't quite like the parts of the gospel that disciple us to give. Hello? When we have, when we attach a cost or a loss to the part of the discipleship journey, we reject that. But when we attribute a gain or a receiving to the part of the, the discipleship journey, we then pick and choose out of Scripture what we want to shape. But come on, I need a resounding amen. But both are necessary in reminding us who is actually Lord of our lives. I think there is so much conjecture in modern Christianity about tithing, you need to note that the early church never argued about whether they should tithe or not. It was just, there's no evidence of it. The reason for it is we keep asking this question, well, does the Bible actually say we need to tithe as New Testament believers? Does the Bible actually ask us, show us where in Scripture exactly did the New Testament Christians actually tithe? See, I understand the question, but it's a wrong question to ask. The right question should be, is God restoring me and setting me free? from bow and possession and ownership to become his image-bearing steward of all that he has? That's the right question to ask. See, the early church didn't argue about tithing because they were in a season of history where whenever you were a Christian, the Roman Empire would literally remove all of your rights to titles for land and home. They had nothing. And that's why whatever they had, they sold and they shared amongst themselves because they were in a season of displacement. Do you understand that? We are not in that season of displacement. We own things, and it's very easy for us who own things to have things own us. Best for us to be getting back to some fundamentals of Scripture to let it disciple us once again. And you know what? When I struggled, because I, I, I have struggled in different seasons, I've had to fight this as, as an accountant and as someone who's, who understands economics and, and accounting principles. And like, I have budgets worked out for my spreadsheets and stuff. Like, it's been seasons of my life when God, I... Are you sure I need to tithe? Because you know, I'm not convinced. Can I find a loophole? How many of you are just that kind of personality people? You like to find loopholes in things. Like you, you, like you read COVID laws and stuff and you try and find a loophole of when you can like, like, like just pull your mask off a little bit, right? You walk around with a, with a bottle all day. Or it's just me. It's just me. Empty cups of coffee. That's how I roll. Because if it's a full cup, your arm gets really sore. So you just carry an empty cup all, all around. That's, all my staff thinking all day and drinking coffee. There's nothing in there. Of a side issue. This confession time tonight. But when I struggled with, like, I, I, I said, God, surely this is this is under the law. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I rem- I remember that that one time where I was so argumentative with God. How many of you ever had an argument with God, and, but you never win? And like you ask questions of God, and He answers your questions with another question. I said, God. Surely this is under the law, like, like I'm under grace, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to be tithing, I shouldn't have to give you anything. And then the Holy Spirit actually asked me a question, well, Ken, do you struggle with the law of the Sabbath? Do you quite happily take one-seventh of the week of work, maybe two-sevenths, and have no problem with it being the fourth commandment? Getting real quiet now. I have not met a single person who've said, all right, this whole weekend, Sabbath thing, that's under the law. I'm under grace. I'm going to go to my boss and say, can you let me work seven days a week because I'm living under grace? (laughs) Never. We have no problems with taking the Sabbath. I know some people sitting in the front row, you make them work some weekends, they go, I need some time off in lieu. Thank you very much. That's my Sabbath. Why? 
Because we want the parts of the gospel. We'll, oh, we'll take that part of the law. Thank you very much. It's my Sabbath. But tithing's not even in the Mosaic law, and we try and find a loophole. It is a principle. To restore, it's a genius of the tithe that reminds us that God did not create for us to become bow people. He created for us to become image-bearing stewards, Samar people, that live in great financial freedom. Is this helpful to you guys? So let me say this clearly. Tithing, fasting, prayer, worship, sexual purity, all of these things, none of these things are obligations for Christians as New, as New Testament believers. They are an opt-in life. In other words, it's a life you choose to live by faith if you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow Jesus, if you truly want your life transformed. And I want to say this to people really with, with great respect. If you're struggling simply to tithe and that whole concept does your head in, it is a massive stumbling block right now in your faith, uh, uh, your faith walk, in, in your journey of Christianity. Keep your money because right now in your head, it's you think it's your money anyway, so keep it because that's where you're at and that's okay. If you're struggling with this revelation of tithing and, and all of that, you know, and, and, and you're, you're trying to find loopholes around it and you're micro-theologizing this whole thing and going, oh, all right, now I, I think the tenth is $98.44, but maybe it's actually $94.42 because it cost me $4.38 to drive here to church. If, you, if, you're, if you're in that space right now, Honestly, keep your money because it's not about the money. It's a, the, the macro theology is about God restoring you back to who you're intended to become. A great frustration for parents is that when we ask our kids to do things, right? Like when Jensen, I'm gonna, son, I love you very much, but when he was little, right? I was trying to teach Jensen as a three or four year old like to share, like even like a five, six, seven years old, and even now as a 17 year old. He's so good now because I taught him, like when he was at a young age, like when he was six years old, seven years old, to share. Like he's got a younger brother, right? So teaching him how to share, like whether, whether it's um, like jelly beans or like lollies or jubes or like share his orange juice. And, and Jensen, when he was young, he would like, he would make sure that the cups were completely equal. <laughs> right? And then like, if, like he had a real sense of justice. If like Isaiah had like already like a few sips of orange juice earlier in the day, he had to like even it out a little bit more in his, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now you would be stupid to think that all I want for my son is for him to be a really good orange juice pourer. It's got nothing to do with the orange juice, it's about the man he's becoming. Do you understand that, right? And when God institutes the genius of the tithe, it's not about the money, but it's about the man or woman you're becoming. Because if you think about it, right, he wants you to break the bondage of Baal and live in the freedom of Samar. And he established the tithe to help us with it, right? So tithing is not an act of generosity, it's actually an act of discipleship. It's actually a fundamental act of discipleship. And the long game for God is simply this. You want to talk about macro theologies. The long game for God is this. He is looking for a bride, an army of believers where he can entrust more to, but he's got to know that you're faithful with a little before he entrusts you with a much. I'll tell you what's going on globally right now. There are millions, even billions of dollars that have remained unstewarded 
or at worst being stewarded in the wrong hands because clowns like you and I are still, still grappling with it. Is it $38.42 or is it, not, is it oh, actually, no, is it post-tax, pre-tax, or is it, you know, it's, what exactly is a tenth? Like, let's try, we're, 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 we're micro-theologizing this whole thing when God is actually saying, I'm looking for a man or a woman that I can trust millions of dollars to. Because there are missionaries that need to be supported. Orphanages that need to be built. Come on. There are women's shelters that need to be funded. Churches that need buildings. Hello. Youth ministries that need resource. Children's ministries. Come on. He's looking for people that are willing to say, God, I want to have money, but not have money. Have me. Would you pour it out? I want to be a conduit, a funnel. Do you know that a funnel, for a funnel to be effective, it can't have anything clogging it up. And if anything's going to clog it up, it's your possession and your bow and your desire to have more. That's going to clog up. The, why would God, here's, here's, here's some common sense questions. Why would God actually give you more money if money is only going to keep you more in bondage? He loves you too much. And if right now you're saying, God, God I, I'd love to have more, ask yourself, why isn't he giving you more? Maybe if he actually gave you more, it will wreck you. So how about we come back? To being in the place where we're saying, God, I want to be that man or woman that's found faithful, can be trusted with the five talents, with the larger portions of that. Because if I manage that, get a handle on it, I know, God, that it won't have me, but I'll steward it as your ambassador, as your image bearer. It won't go to my head, but it'll flow through my heart. You know, you ought to be very, very concerned if you had pastors that didn't tithe. You should be very worried. If Chrissy and I weren't tithing, you should be very concerned about our ability to manage not just our household, but to manage the church. But the fact that we live as students, we're still on the journey with that. We do our best with the nine-tenths, and God has always blessed us with more than enough. You can be confident that we're all journeying together to ensure that our church is in a place and, and, and the people that, that we're discipling in our house are on the journey of being good stewards. I want to raise the next generation of children and youth to not be bound up in the pursuit of stuff, but they themselves will handle and steward and manage far more resource than our generation ever did. That's my desire for them. That's my desire that they will have global influences and have far wealth and far greater riches and resources to expend for kingdom work than we've ever seen in our lifetime. And that should be your desire too. In the modern day context, I'm actually convinced. I'm actually convinced that if everyone had a revelation of stewardship, of tithing, of what it is to say, God, it all belongs to you and thank you for this reminder, the genius of the tithe, I reckon there will be no kids' ministry anywhere around the world that will be short of resources. There will be no youth ministry anywhere that would have to think about how do we run this impactful program on the smell of an oily rag. I, my, my prayer is that churches will begin to rise up to, to really be the kind of churches that God can say, I can pour out millions here because I trust you with a little. Now I can trust you with a much. That's the long game of this conversation. Some of you here might be saying, oh, well, I don't tithe to the church, but you know, I've got a few missionaries on my heart, and like, I, I give them my money, and, and um, that, that's my support, and I consider that my tithe. Honestly, if that's where you're at tonight, that's, that's between you and God. What I do know is this, is that um, I have a house, and my own wife and my own kids have the first of my income. Hello. They've got the, they got the first of it. 
way before uh, all my other bills and all of my, other, my other financial commitments, my wife and my kids get the first of my income, not the other woman down the road. Hey. That's making you feel uncomfortable, isn't it? Imagine if I actually rocked up one day to my house and said, honey, I just come home into this house for the sex and the food. But that woman down the road there, she gets my money. I'll be dead. You'd be burying me. Quicker than you can say tithe. I'll be killed. No way I'd be able to somehow even justify that and pat myself on the back and go, that's fantastic stewardship, God. Anyway, I'll leave that undeniable nugget of wisdom in your, for your consideration. As the musicians, come and join me. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet? I'll quit while I'm so far ahead. It's not funny. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.